It says, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Okay, and now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. In other words, she was something heartfelt was happening in her life. And she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give, to him, I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, the priest, watched her mouth and now Hannah spoke in her heart. You ever done that in prayer? You don't necessarily say anything, but in your heart, you're saying a lot. Isn't that true? And only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. And therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. And see, Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Interesting situation. But Hannah answered. So you can appreciate that if she was looking like she was drunk, her heartfelt prayer must have been fairly emotional and, and, and uh, descriptive and, you know, whatever you, she was doing. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Interesting verse. She wasn't pouring in the wine. She was pouring out her soul. Do you consider your maidservant a wicked woman? Sorry, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken, un I have spoken until now. And then Eli answers said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said... Uh, let your maidservant find favor in your sight so that the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. In other words, something changed after she made that prayer. And then they, then they rose early. That would have been Hannah and her husband and the rest of the family. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah. That's her husband, knew Hannah. There's a lot in that word, knew. And... Uh, uh, and it says, he knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her, and so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son. Hallelujah. Who likes a story with a good ending? It's always good to watch a movie with a great ending. That's one of these stories. And God, and, and this is interesting, and called his name, this little boy that was born to Hannah, Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Okay. So it's a great story. It's a great story that ends with a great finish. But we could see very clearly that the truth is, is that in the midst of this story, um, Hannah has this incredible request and she makes it before God. She's desperate. Uh, in actual fact, uh, her, the other wife to her husband used to uh, kind of despise her and used to make fun of her because she couldn't have children. And so it wasn't a very nice family situation. Um, you know, the Bible doesn't um, agree with polygamy. That is having more than wife. It just states it here, okay? So please understand, uh, it doesn't agree with it. They just state it, that this man had two wives. And, uh, and in the midst of this, it was a great sore point for Hannah because the other woman in the family used to treat her badly because, and, and almost jeer at her and make fun of her because she couldn't have children. And so I, I want us to look at the point this morning, does God hear us? Will God hear us in 2016? Is God listening? God does hear us. I, um, I love a little story that goes like this. A mother and her little boy, Billy, were uh, 
in his bedroom about to go to sleep that was the little boy and the mother came in and done what they always do every night of the week and that is they would pray together and of course she would sit on the bed you can picture the scene he's in bed and she says look Billy what are you going to pray about tonight what do we really need to pray about tonight he says I just want to pray about this this and this and she says go for it and the little boy starts to pray he says Lord just help dad at his work he's having some trouble there just be with mom and you know just simple prayers but great prayers help my brother and sister and then the little boy raises his voice really loud and he says God don't forget about my push bike (laughs) amen Mum says, hey, Billy, God's not deaf. And little Billy says, no, but Grandma next door room is. <laughs> and it brings us, it brings us to two questions. Number one, here's the number one question. Who are we trusting when we ask God for a request? Uh, God or some other source. But the, the question I really equally is important, but I want to address this morning Does God hear our request when we make them to Him? Is God listening? And many of our prayers um, ask questions of God. And uh, and, and the questions that we ask of God, uh, is God really, in our hearts, we're hoping He's listening. We're hoping He's listening. And if you have ever, I've had that thought, I'm thinking, this is a request, God, I, I hope you can hear me, God. Come on, all of us have had that. And, and if you've had that thought, you're in good company because if you went throughout Scripture, you would see numerous people of Old and New Testament who actually had the same thought as you. David in Psalm 61 says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. We used to sing a song. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the ends of... We used to sing it. No one else knows that one, only me. <laughs> Nehemiah, you would be good... Uh, if you had that... A question Nehemiah had, hear me, O God, for we are despised as he tried to build the walls of Jerusalem again. Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, surely the Lord does not have ears too dull to hear. It wasn't a statement, it really was a question. Jesus himself said, if you remain in me in John 15, and my words remain in you, you will ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So Jesus himself says, hey, you know, I'm listening. God's listening. And the Lord even says through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, when you call upon me, go and pray to me and I will listen to you. So we can see that probably the reality is God does listen, but I've come to understand that there's some things that need to happen in my life if God truly will hear. And it's not that God isn't willing to listen to us. God is more than capable and willing to listen. God is more than capable of hearing us in 2016. It's just sometimes, do I open the door for him to hear me? Do I allow him to hear me? Uh, And I want to just share with you from this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 1, some thoughts about what what, what really needs to happen if we're going to let God hear us in uh, 2016, if God's going to hear us. And the first thing I just want to share with you this morning, and, and God hears those who are not just right, you know, not just right, that is right living and doing everything perfect, but surrendered right. Uh, if we go back to the story of henna, it was a common belief in Hannah's day that if you were barren and couldn't have children, you'd done something terribly wrong to upset God. 
Uh, it was, it's stated in the Bible. I'm not saying it was a true belief, right belief. I'm just saying that was a common belief. In actual fact, you'll see in Scripture where it says people thought God had cursed the womb of certain women because they couldn't have babies. And it was assumed that upset God had done something terribly wrong in the years previous to them having children or being able to have children. And, uh, it was, uh, it was, and this was the, the culture that Hannah lived in. That uh, she lived under this cloud of negativity about her and what God thought of her. And I want to tell you, this woman is a real champion and a hero because she pushed through that culture to go and ask God for her requests. Even though the culture of the day said, you're cursed and you've done something wrong, probably in her heart she knew, and in Scripture it doesn't indicate that she'd done anything wrong, and in her heart she knew she hadn't. Surely she hadn't upset God in any way. And uh, she, so she made a deliberate attempt, a uh, deliberate uh, desire to come before God and bring her request. She had to push through the culture of the day. And uh, the truth is that uh, um, she, had, um, not, she was seen as someone, obviously, who was not right. She was not seen as right. She hadn't got it all together. Her life wasn't right. That's why she's barren. She can't have children. I'm glad we don't, I pray that we don't, we don't live under that culture today, amen? That's not the case. And it really wasn't the truth in those days. But let me just say this, humanity has something of a culture that says, when you get it perfect, I'll reward you. When I was growing up in school, I remember the teacher would say, class, if you get all this work done, I'll let you out for lunch early, if you get the work done. I've had my parents, there's nothing wrong with that, in a sense. I remember my parents sometimes have said to me, hey, if you, if you be a good boy, we'll take you on holidays. Or if you be a good boy, we'll get you this, or we'll buy that for you. And so I'd be a really good boy and be as perfect as possible, and, and hopefully I'd get it. I even remember it at work, when I worked at the power station, the bosses would say, you know, um, job and finish. Do you know what that means? If you finish the job, you can go home, you know, working overtime, and we'll still pay you for the extra three hours, but you've got to finish the job well. So there's nothing wrong with all of those thoughts, but let me just say, don't let that become a culture that you place on God. And say, God, unless, I'm got it, if I'm re unless I'm really right, you're not going to answer me. If I really got everything perfect, God, then I'll know you'll answer me. Because we can go through life, when we do make a request to God, we think, God, um, God, the answer hasn't come, so I mustn't be right. Now, that may be the case, but I want to tell you something about God. More important than just being perfect and right, and, and I think God continually wants us to live in righteousness. But more important is that we are surrendered right. Because often I find when I surrender my heart to Him then I become right in Him and with Him. When I l l yield to Him my life, my failings and sin and everything, and yield to Him. See, um, Hannah came and surrendered. She surrendered her life. She was desperate. She didn't have any other answers to have a child. Up to this point, she'd never naturally conceived a child. She come to God, she pushed through the culture of the day that said, you've got to be right before you can ever have children. Please understand, we need to live in righteousness and rightness. But in God's, the way to that is through the surrender to our Heavenly Father. And when we come in prayer, it's not about us and how right or wrong we are. 
but it's about how surrendered we are sometimes to him. Say, Father, I just throw off these things that so easily want to weigh me down, this wrong, this failure, but I surrender to you. And I often find with my life that once I've failed, I know I've failed and done the wrong thing, and I come to God. I don't need to continue to dwell in the past failure. I just need to dwell on the part and the future victory in him. And give my heart and focus on him. You see, I love it. God does not justify sin. God doesn't justify unrighteousness. Never will. And it can certainly affect our, our, our desire to even pray. But when we do come to him, he's looking for a surrendered heart. And, and we see in this passage of scripture, what did Hannah surrender? She said, the very thing that you would, I desire so much, God, the very thing that I would want out of this request is a son. But you know that very thing that I would want so much in my life, at the right time and place when he's old enough, I'm actually going to surrender that back to you. I'm going to give it over to you. I want to tell you, God wants you to want him more than the thing that you want. And so she, she was willing to surrender that. And, you know, when we come with a request, I think that more than anything, God wants that surrendered heart. That the thing we even request for would not be the main thing, but it would be something as we bring to God and we say, God, even if it's necessary, I just would trust you in that. Ultimately, that's what God said. What Hannah was saying, God, I'm just going to trust you. If you would give me a child, the very passion of my heart, the very thing that makes me look like I'm drunk and I'm screaming out to you for in my heart, if, if you give me that, I'll surrender it back to you because I ultimately know that's not the main thing. But you are, and God, that is your answer to that request. I'd give it back and surrender it. See, Hannah, Hannah surrender. You know, there was a guy called David, King David, he became... And the interesting thing is that the Lord said about David, he's the apple of my eye. In other words, uh, he's, he's the one I really am incredibly happy and love and appreciate. And just David. David, God loved dearly. And, and God, David loved God. And the interesting yet thing, even though David was loved by God, yet he was the same man who his failure was fairly grotesque. His sin was abomination. He committed adultery. In other words, he, he slept with a married woman. And then to hide the, the fact that she got pregnant to him, he goes and murders her husband. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's days of your lives at the worst extent, isn't it? Never watched the program, but, you know, Michelle tells me about it. No, no, she does No. No, she, Michelle has never watched that program. That's the truth. She happens to be in the front row. So, so David does all these evil things, and yet um, there's a man who was king before David called Saul, and, and, and as far as we know, in his life, before he became king, he never committed such um, atrocities. He never, he never committed adultery. He didn't murder. Well, later on, he, he, he kind of blew it. But the reality is, Saul, you know, and he started well, but Saul finished so badly. In actual fact, Saul got to the point in his, in his rulership as king of all Israel that he, he actually stopped consulting with God and talking to God and, and believing that God was hearing him. And he started to consult um, people who would conjure up evil demons. 
Remember that. He went to a medium. He went to a person who would tell him the future. He stopped listening to God and asking God because I think in his heart he thought, God has abandoned me. God's not listening. And if only he'd come back and surrendered his heart back to God, I think his, his whole kingdom and his whole rulership would, would, would went well, but it didn't. He ended up dying on the battlefield and committed suicide because he was wounded. And then his son also did the same thing. A terrible tragedy to a man who started so well. Saul started so well, never did what David did, and yet finished so badly. David, you could say, started well, blew it, blew it really in the middle when he adultery and murder. And yet, what is the difference between David and Saul? You know the answer. David surrendered his heart. He says in Psalm 51, he says, I acknowledge my wrong God. And then verse 10, later on in that psalm, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, in direct response to the things he did wrong with Bathsheba and adultery and the murder of a husband. It was simply, God, I'm sorry. He surrendered. I want to say that when you come in prayer in 2016, one of the most incredible parts of your prayer that God will hear is just a sincere, honest, and surrendered heart. Amen. If, we can, if God's going to hear us in 2016, that's what he, he's looking You know what? I find one of the most despicable things in my life that can rise up is pride. And I, can ha and I continually have to, not continually, but every now and then I find I'm just going to deal with that. And if I come in prayer to God with pride and just say, well, God, you know, you know I'm, I'm doing well. You know, I just find that the heavens are a little bit like brass. But when I just come yielded, humble before him, I find an openness that God has and, 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 and so much more responsive, sense what he wants to do and just walk in that. And, you know, um, Peter said this in verse, chapter 5, verse 5, be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Come on, he gives grace to the humble. Humble is not weakness, it's meekness. There's a vast difference between the two things. Meekness is, is being totally strong in God. Weakness is just living your life at a level that's just giving into the world and its processes. Um, so we see a Jewish theologian called Abraham Herschel, a great man, he said, it, In prayer, we shift the center of living from selfishness to self surrender. And I think in 2016, if God's going to hear us, it needs to continually be that. Doesn't mean we can't be um, we can't be strong in prayer. We can't be even militant in prayer and crying, believing and crying it. But I'm just saying, there's points in our times in prayer when we really need to just say, Father, I just surrender. You know, there's never a time when probably in prayer I don't need to surrender something to God, because I find my fleshly man continually rises up. He wants to rule. He wants to sit on the little throne of my heart, my flesh, my ideas, my ways, my attitudes, my agendas, my offenses, my thoughts, my unforgiveness. Have I missed any? God says, would you just take those things and hop off the throne and let me sit there? Does God, has God got this kind of this, has this great a nasty streak in him that says, you know, I just want you to be under me and and just submit to me. No, no, no. God wants to lift you up. It says, what does it say, 1 Peter? Um, it gives grace to the humble. You know, and then verses after, he says, he'll lift up those who are humble. He's not trying to keep you low or insignificant. He wants to elevate you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants you to have victory. But it all comes as we just have a surrendered heart. And that's evidenced in the way we 
talk to God and pray. Here's the second thought this morning about, about uh, uh, how will God hear us in 2016. Uh, Hannah said, answered and said, Oh my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. She says in verse 15, I haven't, she was talking to Eli, I haven't drunk any wine or intoxicating drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Here's the second thing I believe that God hears, and that is that God hears those who ask from the heart. Ask from the heart. We don't make it just a habitual prayer. You know, let's just rattle off the Lord's prayer and, and you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. Well, good, I'm asleep. It's not, it's not about that, is it? It's a heartfelt. See, Hannah's heart was in her request. Hannah's heart was in her prayer to the point where Eli mistakenly thought she was drunk. Man, the lady must have been going for it. And I'm not saying in prayer that you're going to be in some, you know, you've got to show this incredible emotion. And No, no, no. I'm just saying let it be from the heart. Let it be from the heart. James says, you don't have, in, in James chapter 4, verse 2, you don't have because you just failed to ask. Um, Philippians 4, 6 says, and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I say that to say this, does God know what you want already before you ask it? Absolutely. He, he definitely knows what you need and want before you ask it. That's the nature of God. He's God. So why in the world have we got to ask? I want to tell you why. Because until you ask, he will not assume until you ask him what you really want. Even though he knows it, he, he wants to hear it. And more than anything, he wants to hear your heart. Because what's the use? You know, I know what's good for my children. But I tell you what, I don't give it to them sometimes until I see a passion for it. And I'll only give it if it's good and it's going to do them well. Come on. You see, we've just got to ask. He's looking for a desire in your heart. And Martin Luther, the great German theologian, said, Grant that I may not pray alone just with my mouth. Help me that I may pray with the depths of my heart. See, God's heart is attuned to our hearts. He's not attuned to your head necessarily as much as he is to your heart. Because he says in 1 Samuel, he says, God looks Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. In reference to when Samuel was trying to choose the next king of Israel, and of course that next king of Israel was David, who was in the field as a shepherd boy, wasn't even considered. So God looks at the heart of a situation. God is attuned to your heart. And if we ever, all we ever do is just pray with our head and just rattle off some habitual prayer or some passionless um, thing that we just... I mean, it doesn't really cut it with God. God looks at the heart. He looks at what, what your heart. And, you know, I think that some of us um, don't pray because we haven't necessarily sometimes even got a heart to ask. God wants you, you know, uh, just to get passionate about something and start to cry out to Him. Imagine the scene this morning of a coach in his football team or his netball team or his whatever team. He's on the sidelines. And the coach says this, when we go out on that field and play that opposition, what are we going to do? And the team know the drill. They've been through this every week. They do, the, you know, about every week they do the same thing. And the, and the coach says, what are we going to do when we go out there? And the team look at him and go, we're going to win. <laughs> really excited. The coach says, uh, I'm not convinced. I can't hear you. He says, what are we going to do? 
They raise their voice a bit. We're going to win. He says, I'm not convinced. I can't hear you guys. Come on. What are we going to do? All right. Okay. They raise their voice a little later. We're going to win. And he says, I'm still not convinced. I can't hear you. And finally, together, they scream at the top of their lungs. And I won't do that this morning. We're going to win. And he says, I can hear you now. What does a coach do that? Now, I'll admit that probably has never happened to you in an Australian culture, but you know, in some cultures in the world, that's what they do. Um, and the truth is, what's the coach really want? He wants to hear their desire more than their voice. And God wants to hear your desire more than your voice. God wants to hear some passion in your heart come from here. What about that loved one who's, who you just need to continue to pray for, that, that just you need to see come to the Lord? Let, let some passion rise. Hey, I've been there too. You know, I've got my list of people I pray for and continually commit them to God. And, and, I, and I just have to, you know, sometimes stop myself and say, shut up, James. Your head anyway, let it come from your heart. You're just rattling off something you've rattled off last week. Give it some life. Okay, sorry, God. So he just spend some time in worship. And as you do, you just, anyway, you start to get a bit more passion about it. Start to really be, you can stop yourself and you can be passionate about things. I've seen some of you on the sidelines at football games, cricket games or whatever. Yeah, yay! Your kid's on the field, you're screaming. They wish you didn't. <laughs> Every one of my daughters has said, Dad, for goodness sake, not so loud. But... You've got passion within you. You've got desire. There's some things that you're totally desired. You've got desire in your life. I've read some of your Facebook pages. You've got desire. Come on. God wants to hear us. If you've got to hear us, he's attuned to your heart, not just to your words. Prayer is not trying to overcome. By the way, in this passion, passionate prayer, please understand, sometimes we, 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 we could get... You know, oh, how am I supposed to be? I'll get emotional. Well, not necessarily. You've just got to come from your heart. Because prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. You don't have to scream louder or do something to, to get God's attention. What will get his attention is your heart, not your everything else about you, not your prayer. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. Write that one down because... That's a mantra in my heart. It's not overcoming his reluctance. It's taking hold of his willingness in life. Far out. Three ministers were sitting in their office one day. Uh, and they were talking about prayer. What a great subject. They're having a great chat about prayer. The other end of the room was a telephone technician. He was trying to get the telephone system up and running. And so their conversation about prayer got to the point of how they each pray. And the first minister says, well, I've discovered the best way to pray, the best way. Guys, you've got to listen to And it really will help you, both of you. He says, you put your hands together like this, close your eyes, and I tell you, I'm in God's presence, and I just know God's listening to me. The other guy said, no, you don't. He says, no, you don't. He says, mate, you've got to get on your knees. You've got to get on your knees. When you're on your knees, God sees the surrenderedness of your heart. And I mean, that's the best place to pray is on your knees. And the third guy says, you're both wrong, guys. Come on, the best place to play, pray is when you're flat out on the carpet with your face on the floor crying out. That's the best play, place to pr pray. And the phone technician man could, just couldn't keep out of the conversation. He couldn't help but hear what was being said. He said, gentlemen, I, 
Can I just tell you the best place I found to pray? When I'd be hanging from my heels from a telephone pole. <laughs> he says, that's the best place I found to pray because I'm passionate about it then. church this morning it's not the position of your body it's the position of your heart third and last thought this morning henna it says in the in those last verses of what i read this morning henna it says no longer was sad after she she prayed her prayer she talked to eli eli said god grant you the request that you have and then as as she as she said that it says in the scripture her face was no longer sad in other words peace come into her heart that's what it literally means it means peace come into her heart something deliberate shifted within her spirit where she was so desperate, she was so grieving, she was so heartfelt. Now peace come into her heart. And then it says the next day, because I believe of the, the, the attitude she now had, it says the next day they all got up and they worshipped God and then they went home to their home city. They worshipped together. I want to tell you that how will God hear you in 2016? God wants you just to delight in His presence. God just wants you to spend time in his presence. You can do that. In, last week we talked a little bit about this. God will hear those who delight in him. You can be in many places and just delighting in his presence. And it's not so much about activity. It's about the place where we find our heart, isn't it? Our heart. Where is our heart positioned? Because we'll not only hear God's voice in 2016 when our heart is positioned right, but, but, or delighting in him, but it's he will hear us. There's a verse in Psalm 37, verse 4. It just says this, Delight yourself also in everything you own. Anybody going to stop me? What does it say? Delight yourself in the Lord. Is that what it says? And He'll give you the desires of your heart. You've heard me say this before, but some people, when they look at that verse, say, Sometimes, Lord, if you give me what I want, I'll be delighted. It's delight yourself in Him, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Hannah delighted herself. Do you know Hannah delighted herself in the Lord well before she ever got the answer? Hannah worshipped the Lord well before. She, just, she didn't even have God speak to her. She just had Eli say, well, may God grant your request. But she trusted, she believed, and she'd done some things then that involved her with her husband that actually brought about the pregnancy. That was important too. And sometimes that's what needs to happen. God will just give you a key to what you need to do. Not necessarily that, but you know what I mean. If you're ever going to conceive what you've asked, You've got to have a seed planted in your life. Come on. Do you know what I'm saying here without saying it? You've got to have a seed planted in that, in that womb. You've got to have a seed planted there. You've got to have something. And, and the only way you're going to get the, that you know that God wants to answer and heard your voice is when you allow, when you, when you delight in Him, you'll have a peace 
and a joy and a strength to say, it's coming because I've trusted in my God. And there's something I did, and what I did was I delighted in him. I'm sure Hannah and her husband delighted in each other physically. There was a seed planted in her womb, and something she said, hey, it's going to come to pass. I think right there is a great thought. And, and you know, how does the seed get planted? When we delight in our God. Delight yourself in the Lord. Of course, if it's the correct request, then it's a good request. I want to tell you what happens when you delight yourself in the Lord. Because when you just spend time and delight in Him, and just spend time in His presence, not even asking for anything, what happens is there comes an exchange of what you think is really important in life to what God really knows is important in life. There comes an exchange of your desires for His desires. And so that when you come to the point that He will give you the desires of your heart, they're really not, it's because you've made God's desires your desires. And no longer do you want the red Ferrari, which is nothing wrong with riding, riding a red Ferrari, but you say, God, I want the $100,000 because I could just see what I could do for God's kingdom. You know, that's an exaggerated example, but you know what I mean. You change priorities when you delight in Him. You change the way you do life when you delight in Him. Come on, church. I think Australians need to change the priorities of where we need to really live our lives. I think as a church, we need to change the priorities of where we really live. Delight in Him. And He'll hear the request of your heart. When I first met Michelle... There was an amusing little situation that outplayed in her family, and that was she had several dogs in her family. She didn't own them. Her sister owned this little this dog, thought about this tall called Makoska. He was a bit of everything, black haired, shaggy, but he was a lovely dog. And then her parents owned a couple of little chihuahuas. Now, these two chihuahuas and Makoska lived together. They ate together, they played together, they'd done life together, they grew up together, they'd done everything together. And the chihuahuas would come along and they'd jump into your lap and, you know, a little chihuahua, that's, that's really easy to cuddle a little chihuahua. But when McCosca would come along, he thought he was a chihuahua. <laughs> and he'd jump into your lap and you're like, get off, you're just too big for that to happen. That's not going to happen, McCosca, hop off. He'd lived so long with a couple of chihuahuas, he thought he was a chihuahua. In actual fact, in the pecking order of the dogs, he was at the bottom of the list. The other little chihuahuas had the say. He, he kind of lived at the bottom of the pack. And all dogs looked to where they fit in the pack. And, and McCosker, unfortunately, he had the size, he just didn't have the heart. But the thing about McCosker, he'd lived so long in the presence of two chihuahuas that he thought he was a chihuahua. And I tell you, that's exactly what God wants to happen in your life. If you live in His presence and you delight in Him, your whole life will be based around what does He want, not what I want. It's not my request, it's His request in me. It's what He wants to do in you. And I, I find that unless I get the mentality of God, I'll never make the request that God really wants me to make. Because I'll just, I've lived, I've had some pretty selfish requests. And maybe in the future, I still will continue. 
But my heart is to be surrendered. My heart is to have a heart and ask Him. And my heart is just to delight in Him. And I want to tell you, life goes so much better, not with just Coca-Cola, but with Jesus. Jesus. 2016, not only will you hear Him, but will He hear you? Can we stand this morning?